thinking. Okay. So I was particularly moved by just sitting with all of you this evening and thinking of the thinking while I was sitting the, of the the cosmic reality that all of us have come together at this time and and part of my stream of thought was about the just reflecting on the different people who are here who've been a part of this group for a long time the you know new people come all the time and there's something very precious about having continuity of of connection and and just the the love that naturally flows when people come together and are conscious are awake and it's a it's a very special thing and i started to think further just it'll tell you how how quiet my mind was but but i i thought of this song that i been, that I listened to a couple times recently that is it's an old standard and it's a love song but I thought that I would try to pull it up on my phone and play it for you and you'd have to extrapolate that it's meant to in this case to be a um, a love song to you uh, not just to one person but to all of us and it's it was made famous by Barbara Streisand but this is but this version I knew when I started this it could bomb but what the heck <laughs> I'm going to try to play it through the speaker and it's the song entitled what are you doing the rest of your life so this is my and when you hear this think the love is not possessive but it's just goodwill <laughs> In every 
singer's name is um, Amber Holcomb, and uh, she was, it was a beautiful rendition of that song. I was just appreciating this, the, it, it, we can easily overlook the, what we're actually doing moment to moment, and, and to me, every moment is precious, and I want to spend every moment with everything that I'm with to the extent that I can remember and be open, be curious, be open-hearted to what life is presenting itself. And in order for me to do that, in order for you to do that, just as we started the evening, it, it requires that we have our senses open. And in order for our senses to be open, we have to feel, uh, as hard as it is sometimes, we have to feel embodied. We have to have our mind in the same location as our body. And this is, this is the first foundation of mindfulness that the Buddha recommended as a practical place to put your attention, moment by moment. Get yourself here by directing your mindful attention that can be quite scattered and, and um, disjointed and... and disconnected to bring that scattered attention into to a place of one-pointedness, to a single point, to that single point where you inevitably will feel your connection here in this room, feel your connection with all of life. And unless we come to that single point, if, our, if we are scattered, if our hearts are all over the place, we often wander around uh, confused, anxious, with, a, with an unexplainable kind of longing that uh, feels like something's missing, something's wrong, and the very thing that's missing and wrong can be, can be, re- can be recovered, can be healed just by coming back to ourselves, coming back to, as Derek Walcott says, to the one who has loved you all your life, whom you've ignored for another, who knows you by heart. And that's, uh, of course, just your, your being right here. And the only way we know that we're here is through this body. And it's so simple it's so accessible. It's too easy for us to 
um, believe that if we just practice staying in our body. I, I tried to construct in my mind how we could do a 30-day group practice period. I, th- I thought my next, or next 30-day practice period, I've had many ideas. One was to do a, a 30-day practice period of non-harming, of practicing the, the training precepts of not killing, not stealing, being, being um, not causing harm in our sexual relationships, not clouding our mind with intoxicants, uh, not causing harm with our speech, spending 30 days. But I think a a good start would be 30 days of committing ourselves for periods of time every day, and then as much as we can in the informal periods, uh, putting our mind in our body, orienting ourselves to the immediate and direct experience of our senses as experience from the the vantage point of being embodied. So knowing that we're seeing when we're seeing, knowing that we're hearing when we're hearing, knowing that we're tasting, smelling, feeling, and from an embodied awareness, even knowing when we're thinking. And I know that even every time that I even say the word body, and then let the let my let the word body fade away and and experience that felt experience of of the body at that moment it's not a body it's just sensation and when i feel that sensation it's it goes beyond the story of me the story of mine it goes beyond it's just life sensation of life the the pulse of life, the breath of life. It's not all about me. And it's, it's so interesting how when I am not in touch, and I would say, I, can, I think I can generalize this for everyone, when we are not, for whatever reason, whether it was because we, it was not safe to be in our body, many of us grew up in completely chaotic atmospheres, or the way we were spoken to, even the way we were spoken to yesterday, or ignored, or um, judged, or whatever it was, there is a, a way that each of us, at some point in the span of our life, has moved into some version of what they call in, in the psychological world of fear, fight, flight, or freeze. So everybody's been, been, um, been affected in such a way where they that it wasn't easy to be just settled into the body. And because of that, that inevitable experience of being human, where we are um, affected by what people say to us or what happens to us, what we witness, or how we may have been neglected, all those things, uh, there is a tendency to say the, the body is, um, body, I can't feel this, it's too intense. Whatever it is, I can't feel it. And the natural place for us to then reside and, um, and seclude ourselves in is the world of the thinking mind. And the, the, there is a direct correlation. I've just noticed it in my practice. There's a direct correlation between the settledness of my body and the amount of time my mind moves into what the Buddha called papancha. Papancha is the word 
for proliferation, complication, elaboration. It's when our mind takes, uh, uh, moves from a simple sense experience of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, some basic sense experience, and when that experience uh, starts, it's just a sense experience. You know, in the scene, there's just what's seen. In the heard, there's just what's heard. Smell, there's just what's smelled. That's really the truth of any experience. It's just what it is. But our mind tends to not just stay with the simple fact of a sense experience. It immediately, because we're not in the habit of being present in our body, in our senses when something's happening, our mind quickly goes into some kind of commentary, some kind of elaboration. And before you know it, you are, you are um, living in the world of time. When I'm, and time is the world of suffering. It's the world of ego. It's the world of past and present, future, all these ideas. And in that disconnection from just the basic sense experiences, our body further goes into a kind of freeze state. It goes into a state of tension. It goes into a state of suspended relaxation. And then our mind and our, our reality gets projected into, into uh, this imaginary world called me moving through time. And while I'm in that world of time, I'm, I've entered in the domain of, of becoming. I'm, I'm always going somewhere, always trying to get somewhere, and I'm really, much of the time, worried about whether I'm going to get there, whether, I'm, whether life's going to turn out okay. Any of you have any papancha? <laughs> well, the Buddha was very clear about this tendency of mind, this proliferation, this elaboration, this experience, what I associate with is of, of being disembodied or disconnected from our basic sense experiences, he said there are basically three kinds of papancha, three kinds of this kind of complication that our mind goes into. And I know when my mind goes into one of these, into this proliferation, I'm not here with you, loving you and and saying, I want to spend all my time <laughs> with you in Sangha. I won't have that feeling. I won't have that kind of resonance of heart. I'm the, what I, where my mind will go in, is into some kind of deficit, some kind of, some kind of, uh, some, some feeling that I cannot find my peace and happiness here with you. And that's, that's a shame, since, as we, we know, that this being, not just this context here, but any moment that we are present is all there is. So if our mind is busy saying, I can't be happy here, that means I can't, I can't be happy in reality. I can't, I'll never, I can't be happy. Because reality is only where we are. If I can't be happy where I am, where can I be happy? And our mind will then postpone that happiness to whether things work out. And, and then, because we don't know whether things will work out, how, 
what our situation is going to be like, what our mind is going to be like, what our heart's going to be like, what our bank account's going to be like, what our relationships are going to be like, because we don't know any of that. We live in a state of uncertainty, but it's often tinged with anxiety and fear. And all this starts from being, from having my mind leave my body, being, being disembodied, having the winds moved up. Tonight, when I asked you to, to feel the, the body, I said, to, and when I said, when you hear the sound of this gong, it's, remind, it, it's a reminder that we're here. This is where the rubber meets the road in our body. It depends on our body. And it's so funny that what, what triggered that for me is I, look, I was on my way into the city this afternoon to my, my office, uh, and I looked at my tires, and the tread had fallen off the, one of the tires. And the, those little, those little um, strings or whatever the fibers are were just sh- showing. On, and, I, and there was no one home, and I have to make it to the city. And, uh, and I literally had to be in my office in 40 minutes. And so what do I do? So I very gingerly drove the car across the Golden Gate Bridge and drove it into Toscalito tires and got a couple tires and left the car there for the afternoon. But I realized, without tires, that's where the rubber meets the road. <laughs> that's the, you don't have tires, you are not safe in this world. If, and, and, and coincidentally, recently I was... Uh, hearing about this uh, Qigong, Qigong teacher, this, this kind of body-oriented meditative practice that is all about bringing your mind into your body, bringing your, uh, being able to, to have a relaxed, embodied presence. And the person who is, um, who is talking about the, the energy in our body, being settled in our body, says that we, we have these different energy centers and we try to we try to gather our energy in our what's called sometimes called the, the hara or the dantian or the kaf. In different traditions, it's called different things. But another place where the energy is drawn is to the feet. It's called foot chi, the energy in the feet. And this one teacher said that of all the places in the body, the feet are so important for the sense of groundedness said that when, when people try to keep their attention down in their body, the hardest place for people to keep their attention is in their feet. But that's where the rubber meets the road. So the farther we get from having our foot chi, our dantian chi, our energy system, our, our winds, the farther we get from the, from the root, from being settled here on the earth, in touch with the elements of hardness, of heaviness, of pressure, of wind, of, of cohesion, of water, of, of heat, of coolness. The farther we get from that, the more we move into papancha. The more we move into proliferation. So the three kinds of papancha, because we all move into it, we're all habituated, the, the fact that we have papancha is almost a given to our, our human condition. And the good news is that we can use 
the fact of papancha, the ongoing experience of papancha, as the reminder to put our mind in our body. So in other words, it's, it's necessary if we want to be embodied, if we want to be free, if we want to feel that heart connection with our life, with another person even, we have to come out of the tangle of papancha and at least uh, notice it. And every time we notice it, every time I notice what, what pa- that my mind is proliferating, elaborating on the simple sense experiences, that's the moment that I, instead of beating myself up or judging or just jumping back on the train again, I use that moment to say, thank you, it's time to put my mind back in my body. It's time to feel my feet if I'm standing. It's time to feel my belly. It's time to feel my extremities all the way down to the tips of my toes, the tips of the fingers. Time to feel the shoulders. Time to relax the brain, the heart, the body. And I don't know, are you doing that as I'm saying those words? Any impulse to just... Keep your mind in your body. So we want to start noticing papancha. Three kinds of papancha. The first one the Buddha called tanha papancha. That's Pali word. That's Pali language. Tanha means the the proliferation of of, uh, thinking um, associated with desire. With tanha is craving. And so it could be craving for something pleasurable or it could be a kind of, uh, the flip side of tanha papancha is, of, it's sometimes called, um, uh, I forgot the word in Pali for, for aversion, dosa? I forgot it. Anyway, it, the flip side is aversive um, craving, wanting to get rid of something, hating something, judging something, attacking something. It's a, a kind of craving for, to get away from something. It's still the mind that's craving. And when our mind starts spinning out about someone or something, about something we want, many of our fantasies that may be associated with pleasant feelings, even though they may be associated with pleasant feelings, they are often uh, a cause of of, uh, of suffering. They're a cause of postponing our sense of well-being and ease and relaxation. So we want to notice that our mind is doing it. We don't want to, we want, don't want to judge it, but you want to notice, what is your mind spinning out on? Are you planning your next purchase? You planning the weekend? You planning the vacation? You planning the, are you fantasizing about the, the next next electronic gadget that you're going to buy? Or are you fantasizing about how you're going to, to um, uh, attack and blame somebody for something that they may have? Are you having a revenge fantasy? I've had many of those in my life. This is one that came from a, a talk that somebody gave many years ago, a story. This is a, an aversive uh, a form of tanha papancha in the aversive sense. So a woman wants, wanted some potatoes for a meal she is cooking, and so she sent her husband to the marketplace to buy potatoes. As he walked out of the door, she called after him, be sure and get a good price, he said, she said to him. So all the way to the marketplace, 
The man was thinking about potatoes and what he would have to pay. And if he bought the very best potatoes, he knew that he'd have to pay more than if he bought the lesser quality potatoes. And on the other hand, the lesser quality potatoes are just that, not very good. In fact, he knew he'd have to be very careful in buying other than the top-priced potatoes because the seller might try to stick him with a bad potato, even a rotten potato. And when he thought of someone cheating him by giving him a rotten potato, he got really mad. Why do people have to be so greedy and stick me with a, a rotten potato? Just at that point, he reached the stall of the potato seller and screamed at him, you can keep your rotten potatoes, and walked off. So the mind will just create misery. Or as I've read this so many times, and it takes a little while, but it's worth reading for those who haven't heard this before. This is a poem about someone's papancha. And it's, um, it's heartbreaking, heartwarming, and funny all at the same time. And it's entitled, from George Bilger, it's entitled, Unwise Purchases. They sit around the house not doing much of anything, the boxed set of the complete works of Verdi unopened, the complete Proust unread, the French cut silk shirts which hang like expensive ghosts in the closet and make me look exactly like the kind of middle-aged man who would wear a French cut silk shirt. The reflector telescope I thought would unlock the mysteries of the heavens, but which I only used once or twice to try to find something heavenly in the windows of the high-rise down the road and which now stares disconsolately at the ceiling when it could be examining crab nebula. The 30-day course in Spanish, whose text I never opened, whose dozen cassette tapes remain unplayed, save for tape one where I never learned whether the suave American conversing with a sultry-sounding desk clerk at a Madrid hotel about the possibility of obtaining a room actually managed to check in. I like to think that one thing led to another between them, and that by tape six or so, they're happily married and raising a bilingual child in Seville or Terre Haute. But I'll never know. Suddenly I realize I've constructed the perfect home for a sexy Spanish-speaking astronomer who reads Proust while listening to Italian arias. And I wonder if somewhere in this teeming city, There lives a woman with, say, a fencing foil gathering dust in the corner near her unused easel, a rainbow of oil paints drying in their tubes on the table where the violin she bought on a whim lies entombed in the permanent darkness of its locked case next to the abandoned chess set. A woman who has always dreamed of becoming the kind of woman the man I've always dreamed of becoming has always dreamed of meeting. And while the two of them discuss star clusters and Cezanne, while they fence delicately to Castilian Spanish, to the strains of Rigoletto, she and I will stand in the steamy kitchen fixing up a little risotto, enjoying a modest cabernet, while talking over a day so ordinary as to seem miraculous. It's a beautiful thing how creative our mind is and how it makes the world. But so much time 
spent in our fantasy life misses the, the vividness and the heart quality of, of being present. So we have to simply notice that and maybe even enjoy our papancha, enjoy our fantasies, see the pleasure associated with them, but also see the defect in de- of depending on them and getting lost in them. And start to use those moments of recognition as a time to settle into our body. Then the second kind of papancha, which is big in the, especially big last week, and it's big in, in the political season. It's big all the time, I think. It's uh, called ditti papancha. And ditti papancha, ditti means views. It's the proliferation of thinking about our views and opinions about everything, about how the world should be, how we should be, how others should be, and how much there is so much um, spinning, so much papancha, and so much unpleasantness that comes from having our views and opinions that become such a, a source of identity, having our views and opinions opposed by other people's views and opinions. And how the how the a lot of the papancha is is mixed in with with tanha papancha in wanting the other people to have different views. And when those two get mixed together, there's a lot of a lot of stress, a lot of pain in the body, a lot of a lot of tension in the heart. And what happens when our body gets tense and our heart gets tense? What do we do? We start having more papancha. So each time we, if we can notice that we're spinning out about politics or about how this person or that person is not doing things just right or the way they should or, or whatever def- deficit there is, and it doesn't mean that we stop caring and, and tuning into what could use help in this world. We always want to do that. But it, there's, it's di- there's a difference between, between being present in our life and responding with a lot of caring and being and just spinning out in our in our fantasies when we're not really able in that moment to do anything in particular except just noodle around in in our um, in our mind worlds so we want to notice ah there's papancha about views and opinions and this could be a whole talk in itself by just giving you the short version and every time we notice it to put our mind in our body and then the, the one that I talk about a lot here on Tuesday night is the third kind of papancha. So much internal narrative and, and commentary uh, associated with what the Buddha called mana papancha. Mana is the word for conceit or thoughts about myself. But mana is also often associated with the, what we call the comparing mind. The, the measuring mind, the mind that's evaluating, we're okay or not okay, we're, we're more okay than others, we're equal to others, or less okay than others. And the, the spinning that our mind does around that is, um, is tormenting. It's, one of the, it's a defilement of the mind, this comparing mind. It's, and it's uh, often a real disconnect from our intrinsic beauty, our, our uniqueness, our just our our intimate experience of life. It's so disconnected, our comparing mind. It describes somebody, as I often say here, it describes somebody who doesn't even exist, the measurable you. It describes the, the identity you that's, that's um, 
that's usually insufficient in some way and insecure and always needing to, to, um, to improve or get things right or be different than the way we are. And, and that's, um, that's, our minds do that. That's what it means to be somebody, to have, a, have a, a personality view, to have an ego, is you'll have this kind of papancha, this comparing, this measuring mind. And we can either be lost in it and tormented by it and have our body go into a state of freeze, or we can notice, oh, there's the comparing mind. We can get to know it. We can see, oh, is that, is that uh, atimana? Is that the, the superiority view going through my mind? Or is that, the, the, is that mana, the equality view? Am I equal? Or is that what's called amana, which is the inferiority view? Am I putting myself above, equal, or below? Or am I just comparing in general? And when we notice that, we say, oh, that's the comparing mind comparing. And hopefully, the more you notice that kind of papancha, that kind of complication or proliferation, each time you notice it, you put your mind in your body. And remember, as, as Emerson said, who you are, shout so loud, I can't hear what you say. It's not about what you think about yourself. It's about what's here in this very room that's not so easy to put in words. It's not so as personal. It's the fact that you're conscious. It's the fact that you have a a tender heart. It's the fact that you're a breathing being. It's the fact that you have papancha. But we can, but our mindful attention helps us to look at papancha instead of see the world from papancha. Usually we're used to seeing the world from our thoughts. In our practice, as we wake up to reality, we, we notice our thoughts. And that's a big shift. And that shift becomes one that we can accommodate more easily if we have the habit of being embodied, settled in our body. It has the effect of calming the thinking to, in general, calms our mind, it steadies us, and it gives us, gives us an opportunity to feel connected when we're not. We're actually always connected, and we're always here. That's the amazing thing. We're always here, and we're always connected, but our mind is telling us, I am so disconnected, I'm so stuck, I'm so cut off, I'm so not enough, I'm so different, I'm so too little, too much, too... Where is that person on present evidence? They don't even exist. What exists on present evidence and what I long for, for everyone in this world, is to, is to, um, is to find the happiness that comes from just being conscious. It's enough. And then letting the intelligence that flows from that save your life. So put your mind in your body and your body in your mind and and save yourself from the papancha of past and future and comparisons and everything you want to happen. It doesn't mean you shouldn't want things to happen, but don't spend your whole day lost in it. Know that you're wanting. Know that you're hating on someone. Know it. And then put your mind in your body.
And you'll say, I don't like that feeling of hating. My body burns when I hate. And if you feel it, you won't want to spin out anymore. And if you feel what it's like to be in a state of desire and craving, you feel the tension and the state of suspended happiness, you you don't want to spin in fantasy either. You'll want to be here. So let this body, let awareness of this body, let awareness of the unfolding present experience be the hub around which you live your whole life. And I know for a fact that it'll work better. Your life will work better. And you'll find a lot of moments of satisfaction. Anyway, that's you've heard enough of me. Let's sit quietly and go home. Want to hear the song once more? (laughs) Well, you... Since this coming into our body is coming back to nature, I'll leave you with the poem from David Wagner entitled Standing Still. The trees before you, the bushes beside you are not lost. Wherever you are is a place called here. And you must treat it as a powerful stranger, must ask permission to know it and be known. The forest breathes. Listen, it answers. I have made this place around you. If you leave it, you may come back again, saying, Here. No two trees are the same to raven. No two branches the same to wren. If what a tree or a bush does is lost on you, you are surely lost. Stand still. The forest knows where you are. You must let it find you. May all beings find nature in their own holy body. And may our practice today and every day be dedicated to the awakening of understanding, of love, of all beings. May all beings grow in serenity and equanimity, the capacity to, in an embodied way, accommodate the joys and the sorrows of our life. May all beings be liberated. you. Pleasure being with you and thanks for your generosity. And there is an announcement. I do have a day long on Saturday at Spirit Rock uh, entitled Calming the Restless Mind. And some of what I spoke about tonight will be included. 9.30 to 4.30 at Spirit Rock. Bring all your friends. We'll have a day at Spirit. What's that? 
There are flyers on the table in the back. And come one, come all. Lovely to spend the day sitting with you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.